fantastic. Um, it's great to see you all. It's great to be here as well. Um, I feel like I work a lot on Sundays, so I, I hardly ever get to come to church, which can be really frustrating for me. So the last two weeks, I've actually been in two different, three different churches. I was at a night service as well. I've been in three churches in the last two weeks. But can I say, it's just sometimes, it's really, well, not sometimes, all the time, it's actually just really nice to be home. Um, and what happens at home, I think, is we're amongst family, we can be honest with each other, we can get live feedback from the worship director of how we're singing this morning, which I thought was fantastic. Um, but this is, this is what home's about, right? This is what community's about. It's about bearing out it all, it's about saying, I'm not sure how this is going to go with the play this morning, but we're going to do it and it's going to be great. Isn't that good? Like, I think that's really great. Thanks. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a great community. So, um, I am talking this morning though, so I've got some things to say and I've got 30 minutes to say them in. I do have like 54 slides. I don't know what the calculation is on that, but that's like a minute a slide, maybe less. I don't know. I don't know what it is, but I'm not good at maths. It's going to be a whirlwind, guys. It's going to be an absolute whirlwind, so I hope you're ready. Um, yes. <laughs> thank you for that one person who's ready. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> um, Look, remember, I do talk fast, so let's see how we go, hey? Um, okay, so um, the last few weeks we've been really talking about this. We're coming into the season of Advent, are we? Um, I know two weeks ago I listened to the podcast, which is a really cool thing about podcasts. Josh spoke about the, uh, uh, the amazing moment of Mary and this kind of who she was, right? She, she wasn't this perfect middle-aged woman who has everything together in like a business suit or anything like that, but she's a, a young Middle Eastern woman who's from Nazareth, who is afflicted, who's not maybe have everything worked out for her in her life. And God came and chose her, which is just such, again, such a fantastic thing that an afflicted person, a person who's been excluded from society, comes and gets chosen. Um, Graham last week spoke to us about, I think his title of the sermon was Wipe Your Feet at the Door, which I loved. But it was all about that God chose these stinky shepherds. It wasn't the religious, great religious people who were there at the birth of Jesus in the barn. Instead, it was stinky shepherds. That's quite a, like, quite a subversive message, isn't it? It's not about, like, God's coming to earth. You'd think all the holy people would gather, but no, it's the stinky shepherds. I, I think that's really cool. Like, there was people missing what God was doing, but for some reason, the stinky shepherds did notice. It gives us hope, right? Um, mainly because... Like, I'm from Rockhampton, right? Like, I am a stinky shepherd. <laughs> I literally have an Akubra at home <laughs> um, and R.M. Williams boots. So, with all of this to say, um, this morning I've been given the task to talk about the three wise men. And I was going to say next slide, but I realized I got this here. Um, the three wise men. Now, like, it's sort of kind of an interesting thing. I did one of those fateful mistakes of just Googling who are the three wise men, because I just wanted to see what would come up. Um, now, I, I got some really amazing sort of art and things like that, but I, I also started to stumble along some of these posts on the internet, some of these Google entries that are like, who are the three wise men? Really? Like, just ripe with biblical conspiracy, right? Um, so I'm not going to talk to you about who really are the three wise men or anything like that. I think we had a really good adaptation this morning. One of them was wearing a kimono. Did you see that? Yeah. <laughs> Apparently they're Japanese, everyone. <laughs> it's a samurai, samurai magi or something like that. It was so good. Um, 
but what I'd really love to do is sort of for us to talk about this whole moment of the Magi coming, but not only that, actually talking about the significance of God inviting Gentiles to the table, of God inviting Gentiles to be a part of what he was doing here on earth in creation, because this is important. Not only is it the reason that you and I, non-Jews, unless there is a Jew here somewhere, no, they probably don't want to raise their hand anyway, but like, uh, it, it, unless there is like a, it, it, we're all Gentiles here today, right? The fact that the Gentiles were invited is the reason why we're here together. It actually made sure that we were included, which I think that's pretty good news. I, yeah. Maybe show you some emotion later. Or <laughs> Thanks. No. I've got to be careful. I should also look at my notes. Um, this thing. So that brings us to Luke chapter 2, verses 28 to 32. So open up there um, in your Bibles. Um, I'm going to read when we get there. I'm reading out of the NLT this morning, if if you're wondering which one. Luke 28, sorry, chapter 2, verses 28 to 32. Um, This is what it says. Uh, So let me explain really quickly what's going on. Is um, Jesus has been born, he's been brought to the temple, and there's God's servant, Simeon, is there. Um, now, God's servant, Simeon, had this word spoken over him that he would not die until he saw the salvation of God. And so Simeon sees Jesus, sees this baby, grabs hold of him, and then begins to speak this blessing. And this is what it says. It says, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people, Israel. That Jesus, this child, the salvation of God was a light of revelation for the Gentiles and for the glory of your people, Israel. We can see straight away with this prophetic word, with this, sung, sung, this song sung by Simeon, that straight away the Gentiles are actually included in this thing. Because um, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people, Israel. Now, I think we can sort of see this moment and maybe not realize the gravity of Gentiles being invited along to what God is doing. Because before this moment, it's actually never been about the Gentiles, so we would suspect, right? It's always been about the Jewish or the Israelite people. Now, this brings us to my nieces and how they share together. Um, I've got two nieces and a nephew. Now, I must say this really quickly. Um, For the majority of my adult life, um, I have lived either by myself or with people who don't talk very much. Now, this is great because I also don't like to talk that much. And I love just sort of coming home in the afternoon. It's peaceful and quiet. I can wake up whenever I want to wake up. I I eat dinner whenever I want to eat dinner. It's quiet. It's tranquil. If my housemate tries to talk to me, I I can put in my headphones. And that's like the universal language of don't talk to me, which I love. Leave me alone. So I've sort of for my adult years lived this life of just absolute tranquility and silence and it's bliss. Might I say, parents, you have missed out, okay? It is bliss. It is bliss. No, I'm joking. I, I, yeah. 
It is bliss. But every year, um, I usually go up to Rockhampton where I grew up, and I go over to mum and dad's house, and my brother and his wife, Tegan, my brother John, his wife, Tegan, bring his kids along. My God. <laughs> it's mayhem. We know, right? It's just like there's, there's three of them under seven. Is that right? Yep, there we go. Thank God. <laughs> I even know all their names, right? So um, there's three of them under seven, and they come into the house, and all of a sudden the house is full. Right? The house is extra full. It's, there's a dance concert over there. There's a performance over here. There's two people fighting about something over here. There's, there's someone chucking food on the ground over there. I'm just like, it's just so much. I often will like kind of retreat into the corner, kind of just sit there with my legs crossed like, what is going on here? Um, now, of course, whenever you're trying to be quiet by yourself and there's kids around, they want to come and know why you're being quiet, right? So I'll be sitting there by myself in peace and quiet, just enjoying the tranquility of life. I don't know, thinking about the cosmos or something like that. Um, and all of a sudden, like Haven is climbing on me for some reason. I'm like, why, why are you here? <laughs> Um, and then Honor's like over. She's like, I'm coming as well. If, if someone else is climbing on Chris, I want to climb on Chris. And then Harvest, who's like a baby, he's like falling over. And, I'm, and it's just crazy. It's mayhem. But what I also start to notice is I'll often see uh, that the eldest daughter of my brother, yeah, the el- my eldest niece, Haven, will often be playing with something and then she'll get over it. She'll get bored with it really quickly. And I don't know if you know, maybe help me, like help confirm this with me. She'll get bored with it and she'll just like chuck it on the ground and then she'll walk away, right? It's like, I'm done with that microphone that I was singing into. I've got other things to do. I've got jigsaws to build or something like that. But what then happens is Honor, the next one, will come along and she'll pick up the microphone and she'll start singing along. Now, everything's fine until Haven realizes that her younger sister is having fun with her toy that she left on the ground, and she's like, I want that back now, right? And, like, what do we have? We have, like, this fight in shoes. There's two hands on the microphone. It's like a a concert where the two lead singers don't like each other or something like that. And there's, like, there's stuff going on. Usually, there's probably tears. There's a mum. Tegan will be like, well, you should have, like, you should have enjoyed it while you had it or something like that. I don't know what happens. But something happens because she got sick of this microphone. She threw it on the ground, and then someone else came and enjoyed it. Now, I actually think that this kind of speaks to us in life that we kind of really hate it when other people are enjoying things. Right? Let's, let's be really honest. Um, I know, and maybe I'm going to reveal some things about myself that I shouldn't, but there's often times I will be driving in my car early morning to work, and I'll see someone going for a run. And I'm just like, ugh, what a loser. <laughs> I don't want him fitness. What a waste of time. He's going to ruin his knees doing that. Like, <laughs> I start to come up with these excuses primarily because I'm actually just jealous. Right? I'm jealous that I didn't have the, the, the go gusto to get up that half an hour early to go for that run to show everyone how good I look in Lycra or don't look probably more than anything, but because I'm jealous. It's like when I'm strolling through Instagram and someone's like, like oh, look at me at the Bahamas or I'm in the Greek islands or something. I'm just like, ugh, what a waste of money. You should invest it. Give it to the church. Start coming up with these excuses of going, oh, but, but it's just plain old jealousy. 
it's it's riled up in some it's sorry it's 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 covered up in something totally different to what I'm saying it is because why because we don't like when other people enjoy things we hate it when others succeed especially if it feels like it's at the expense of me right you don't have to agree you can just do it inside of your head so no one knows right I guess I'll just be honest no, no. <laughs> yeah thank you thank you um because as Australians, especially, we hate tall poppies and people who go running to get bad knees, right? Like, we hate this sort of stuff. It's all about, we're all going to be equal. If I'm a little bit overweight, you have to be a little bit overweight as well. Like, it's, you've got money problems, I've got money problems. We're all in this together. Um, stop doing what I wish I could do. Like, that's a statement I've sort of thought I've said to people. What, going away on another holiday? Stop doing what I want to do. <laughs> um, but this is really who we can be as humanity. And I think oftentimes we actually see this happening in the Hebrew Scriptures where there's moments where the Jewish people had like this... Well, let's have a look, actually. Let's open up to Exodus chapter 19, verses 5, because what I want to do is kind of build to you a little bit about who this Jewish person is and what's going on and why it's significant that the Gentiles are invited. So, in Exodus chapter 19, verses 5, there's this really beautiful statement that sort of seemed to be one of the key statements in the Jewish history, and it's this. It says, have I got it here? Look. Now, if you will obey me and keep my covenant, you will be my own special treasure from among all the peoples on earth, for all the earth belongs to me. Now, this is quite a lovely saying. In Exodus chapter 19, we must remember before this moment, the Jews were slaves. They were the least of all. They were the absolute, that they were the most hated people in their sphere of influence, right? No one wanted the slaves. They, 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 they're horrible people. But then God comes along and says to these people who are worth nothing, you, out of everyone else, will be my treasured possession. It's beautiful. This is like a first moment. In, finally, they won, right? Finally, they got a break. They've been slaves for generations, and now they're treasured possession. So who is the Israelite? They're, they're slaves in Egypt. They've been treated like garbage. They had been at the bottom of the pack for generations. The gods and their representative being Pharaoh disdained who they were, they were, they were, oh English, there we go, and was against them. So to them it looked like the gods were against them. It looked like all of society was against them, that they were small and insignificant and not wanted and not loved and worthless. But then God comes along and says, but you are my treasured possession. God, in a mighty act of God, he fought on their behalf. There was no, they were no longer the runts of the litter, instead, or the oppressed. They were now the powerful and the mighty. Then God appears to them and calls them his treasured possession. Remember, it's been the Israelites against the whole world. It's been the Israelites, the small select few, um, and now they're getting called the treasure to possession. So they were once disposable, they're now indispensable, right? They were once worth, no, they were once worth nothing, now a treasured possession. We can sort of see this even further, and I don't think we're going to have time to actually go there to this morning, but in Deuteronomy 7, 6 to 9, again, God sort of says, hey, I chose you not because you were the biggest, not because you were the strongest, but I chose you because I loved you, and you are my treasured possession. This is unique. This is different. This is wild. 
Let's skip that. They were weak and small, but rescued and treasured. Again, weak and small, though waiting for their rescuer. And I think that's the moment we find the the Israelites in before Jesus comes to earth through the birth and that the season of Advent is preparing us for. It's that this treasured group of people are again waiting for their rescuer and that's where we're inserted into the story and Simeon proclaims that uh, the, the, the incarnation was coming there, salvation was arriving and Simeon proclaims, for my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations a light of revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people, Israel. Imagine hearing you are finally going to win, you are finally going to get a break, but those who do not deserve it will be there as well. Does that sound like good news to you? Right? (laughs) Imagine hearing that hey, we've got something really amazing planned for you, but that person you hate the most is also getting it as well. Why? Because we hate it when others succeed. We hate it when our younger sister comes and plays with that thing that we've had the whole time and we just threw on the ground. We hate it when others succeed. We hate it when people go for runs and you wish you could. We don't like it. We don't like it when others succeed, because God is coming, salvation is here. God is coming, salvation is here. So we arrive then, and I know I'm going the long way around for this one, but we arrive then at the stable or the barn. Salvation is coming, salvation is here. Simeon sung this beautiful chorus, salvation is here. And you get to the place where salvation has come, and what do you find? This is God's salvation coming to earth, and instead of finding a palace, we find a barn, right? Instead of finding a queen bearing God's child here on earth, we found a Nazarene. Instead of finding priests, the holy people being present when God's doing something here on earth, we find shepherds, stinky shepherds, as we learned last week. And instead of finding the conqueror, who's going to defeat our enemies, who's going to defeat the Gentiles, who's going to defeat the nations that have been over us for generations, we find that they're actually invited. The Magi are there. The salvation's here. Salvation has come to conquer our enemies, to vanquish them from the land so we can rule as holy people. Sorry, they're there as well. They've rocked up. I'm pretty sure if I was a Jewish person or an Israelite at the birth of Christ, I would have asked someone, who invited you to the barn? (laughs) How did you get an invitation here? You've been a part of the problem for generations. You've been against God's elect for for, for generations and generations, but now you're here? What's, what? a light of revelation for the Gentiles, for the people that have pushed them down, who they've been against everyone else, but now we learn that they're here as well. This is horrible news because we're learning that when God 
comes into being, when God incarnates, it's not just one group of people who succeeds and does well, it's everyone. It's the Gentiles as well. The people you think don't deserve it. The people you think actually shouldn't be there, they're there too. The secret is out, right? God's here. How would you feel? How would you feel if you knew that that person, that group of people, that side of politics, or that group in society actually were invited to commune and participate with God as well? Do you think it's good news or isn't it? Because we call it the gospel, the, the, the news, that the, the salvation has come. But I think we often have to determine, do we actually believe it is good news, right? Because if we're sitting here, and I put my hand up saying, me as well, right? Oh, God, salvation, man, it's for everyone. Oh, but not that group. They're not invited, right? They're not allowed to come, Sorry. I think history has been has shown us time and time again when we've had different groups of people who've we've tried to exclude from the gospel, but somehow God still gets a hold of it and does stuff anyway. Right? This is a fundamental thing to the incarnation of God. God at his inception, at his incarnation, Gentiles are present. For the Jewish person, their uniqueness was God. They were totally under this. Uh, this auspice of like, we are the chosen, we are the treasured possession and nobody else. But then all of a sudden God's like, oh no, 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 other people are here too. Other people are invited as well. I haven't looked at my notes in a long time. In Luke 4, 16 to 29, it says this. What's the time? Okay. We actually can see really beautifully illustrated how the Jewish people, the Israelites, and I'm, how the Israelites handled when Jesus actually, in his message, told them that God was for the Gentiles as well. Um, in 4:16 to 29, we don't have time to go there, um, but please, you can look it up if you'd like. Um, but we see this really beautiful moment where Jesus jumps up in front of the temple, in front, sorry, in the synagogue in his hometown, and he's speaking to his, to his friends. He's speaking to his family. He's speaking to those people who know them. And he says this beautiful message. It says he opens the scroll of Isaiah, and he finds a place where it is written, um, uh, the, the, I have come... Oh, I've just like lost my head straight away. Uh, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim that the captives will be released, that the blind will see, that the oppressed will be set free, and that the time of the Lord's favor has come. He rolls up the sleeve and everyone's like, wow, this guy's incredible. But the message doesn't stop there. What does Jesus say next? Jesus says this. He says, for sure you'll say to me, do healings, do amazing things like you did in other cities. And I'm going to say to you, a prophet will not be recognized in his own town. But then he says this. Certainly, there were many needy widows in Israel in Elijah's time when the heavens were closed for three and a half years and a severe famine devastated the land. Yet, Elijah was not sent to one of them. He was sent instead to a foreigner a widow of Zarephath in the land of Sidon. 
And many in Israel had leprosy in the time of the prophet Elisha, but the only one healed was Naaman, a Syrian. That's like a wild thing to say, right? He's literally saying to them, hey, um, during these times in history, look back at your prophets. God actually came and healed the Gentiles when there was plenty of Israelites around. Now, how do they respond to this message? <laughs> they pick him up and they're like, let's throw him off a cliff. <laughs> now, when you think about this, this is his friends and family. These are those who knew them. Because a moment before, they're like, isn't this Joseph's son? Joseph's son just laid some smack down and now they want to throw him off a cliff, right? <laughs> because for some reason, we hate it when other people succeed. We hate it when other people get those things that we think they, that they don't deserve. We hate it when we sometimes feel like we're losing our uniqueness and we realize that Gentiles and people we don't like are invited to what God's doing as well. This is rough, right? Good news is actually good news for everyone. When God comes to earth, he comes for everyone. Jesus' message reminded the people that the Gentiles are invited. Who are our Gentiles? Who are those people right here as you sit here, you think of and go, my gosh, I don't want them to get any good news. Maybe it's the guy that ran to church this morning or something like that and is waving his fitness in our face. Um, but maybe it's a certain side of the political spectrum. Maybe it's that group in society that we just, we just think are, are, are not worth anything. Maybe it's people who believe this or don't believe that. They're our Gentiles. They're the people we don't think deserve what God's doing here on earth. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry to give you some bad news, but can I say it's good news? Is God's for them as well. He loves them so much and they're also invited to the table. They're invited to the feast. The Gentiles are welcome. I think as a church, as Christians, we can sometimes think, maybe similar to the Israelites of old, that it's us against the world. And that's what I've so loved about the series we've done as a church this whole year, is going, it's not us against them, right? It's not about us succeeding and then that means they fail. It's actually about God wants to do something here. And we can be a part of that, all of us. Our behavior can often reflect we are the chosen and others are not. We can think that some deserve salvation and others do not. Can I say something? None of us deserve salvation, right? <laughs> That's why it's a gift. I think the, the Magi thought they brought gifts, but really the greatest gift was already there. Salvation is this gift that none of us deserve, even if you've been in church your whole life, right? I was saved at six at a Heaven's Gates and Hell's Flames play, right? I know what it's like to be in the church for a long period of time. We, we, we then followed it up with like, uh, what's those crazy movies? Left Behind series on movies. Like, I, I, 
None of us deserve this thing. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Yeah, it doesn't matter if you know the... Oh, anyway, okay, let's keep going. Advent reminds us that all are invited to the incarnation. Salvation is for all. If this is true, though, how do you and I respond? If this good news is for everyone, if this incarnation is for all, if this actually includes the Gentiles, those who aren't perfect and living this amazing life, if this is true, how do you and I respond? Do we go, well, I'm going to keep this one to myself. I'm not going to invite anyone. I don't want this good news to get out because I don't deserve it. Or is it something that we're free with because it was free to begin with? This leads us to Luke 15, 11 to 32. Um, if I can get the band up, is, if that's okay. We kind of see really beautifully how God treats those who are lost in Luke chapter 15. Um, the way it sort of starts is there's sinners and tax collectors sitting there listening to Jesus and the religious people, the Pharisees, look on and go, who's this guy? What are, they, what are those people doing here? Jesus then sort of reading, his, reading their thoughts or understanding what they were thinking, what they were about, goes on then and tells these three stories in a row that all back up the same point. The first story is about a shepherd who has 99 sheep and one of them goes, sorry, has 100 sheep and one of them goes missing. And it's this beautiful moment where the shepherd leaves the 99 and goes and grabs the one and then comes back. The next story is about a woman who loses a coin. And then Jesus says, surely wouldn't she like sweep the house, then find the coin and then invite her friends around for a party to celebrate that what is lost has been found? And then we come to one that I'm sure you've all heard before or you all know, um, which is the prodigal son. That there's two brothers. That these two brothers um, were, were, were both in the house serving their father. And then one day, the youngest brother said, Father, I, 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 don't, I, I don't care about you anymore. Give me my money. I'm out of here. He leaves the household and goes and lives this crazy life. There's things about pigs and pods, right? There's things about all this other stuff going on. But we see this, this, this son who's lived quite vicariously and wildly and crazily come to this moment where he goes, I'm starving and there's servants in my father's household who have food. I'm going to go back and ask dad just to be a servant. I've wished he was dead. I treated him horribly, but I want to go back and treat him right. And it says that the father dropped everything and ran to him. He ran to them. He embraced him. And then he says these beautiful words. He says, go and kill the fattened calf for the son of mine was dead and has now returned to life. He was lost, but now he is found. So the party began. I think at this kind of really base level of the gospel, of the advent, of this incarnational moment is God coming to welcome the lost, right? And they're invited to a party. Now you got to know I'm not a big party guy, <laughs> but we've been invited to a party. We've been this month, sorry, this, these few weeks, if you read Graham's piece in the newsletter, it talks about that we're invited to a feast, 
we're invited. There's been a fattened calf, right? Because everyone's welcome. Go out into the roads, grab anyone, grab the lost, grab, doesn't matter who they are, grab them and bring them in. But then there's this other character in the story. There's the younger brother who returns, but then there's also the older brother. And I think oftentimes we forget about the older brother. Meanwhile, the older son was in the fields working. He was doing the right thing. He'd never left. He'd been in his father's house doing the right thing constantly over and over again. And when he returned home, he heard music and dancing in the house. And he asked one of the servants what was going on. Your brother is back, he was told. And your father has killed the fattened calf. And we are celebrating because of this safe return. And the older brother was angry. And he wouldn't go in. His father came out and begged him. He was angry because someone who didn't deserve a fattened calf, someone who didn't deserve love, someone who didn't deserve to be invited to the incarnation, to, who, who didn't deserve to be given salvation, this person who didn't deserve these things got them. And he hated it. Because like you and I, sometimes we hate it when other people succeed. When other people get things we don't think that they deserve. And this is what he says. All these years I've slaved for you and never once refused to do a single thing you told me to. And in all that time, you have never given me even one young goat for a feast with my friends. Yet when this son of yours comes back after squandering your money on prostitutes, you celebrate by killing the fattened calf? His father said to him, look, dear son, you have always stayed by me and everything I have is yours. We had to celebrate this happy day for your brother was dead and has come back to life. He was lost, but now he is found. He's standing outside the party and he refuses to go in. And that's where the story ends. There's no happy ending. It doesn't wrap up in a little bow. He's standing outside and there's a party going on but he refuses to go in because someone in there, his own brother is getting something he thinks he doesn't deserve. This is probably a really confrontational message and you're like, Chris, it's Christmas. Can't we just talk about presents and nice things? But I think we have to be confronted with this, just this absolute reality that the good news is for all that this incarnation is for those people we don't like and we don't want them to get it. So I think you and I sometimes, as these people who have maybe lived the Christian life for their whole life, are standing out front of the party. And there's probably someone in church that you're like, they shouldn't be there. Or there's probably someone getting some, God's talking to them, you're like, that God shouldn't be talking. Whatever it may be, we're standing outside the party and we've got this invitation from the Father to come. The Gentiles are there. The people who don't deserve it are there. I'm sorry, but they are there. Are we standing outside the party? Are we standing outside the barn? I'm not coming in if those Magi are there. Are we standing outside the church? I'm not coming in if those people are there. 
Salvation has come. And those who do not know God are also invited. Isn't this good news? Salvation has come and those who do not deserve it are invited because we're here as well. There is a light of revelation for the Gentiles and we're so thankful there is. So let's get in and party. How about you stand with me? Let me pray as the band sings. Um, God, we're just so thankful that we worship a God who doesn't just party and love the select few, but rather welcomes all. He's the good host, the good king, who goes out and finds whoever may need a feed, whoever may need something to eat and invites them to the feast. He's the good king who doesn't matter what they look like, what they sound like, what they smell like. He goes, I want them to come along. God, may we be okay knowing that people who don't deserve it are invited as well because at our root, we know we don't deserve it either. God, may we celebrate the gift of the incarnation of your son here on earth for us to enjoy the salvation prepared in front of the whole world, the light for the Gentiles and the glory of the Jews. God, may we celebrate that. That good news is good news for everyone. We thank you so much, God. In your name, amen.